Hello, and welcome back to Bizarre Biology, a podcast dedicated to rare and bizarre clinical conditions. My name is Erin, and I'll be your host on today's episode. Today we are going to talk about the difference between gigantism and acromegaly, and go into some detail about a few symptoms relating to bones and skin. Before we dive into the world of gigantism a little bit more, since we are all at the edge of our seats ready to learn, let's review some information that we talked about in the last episode. Gigantism is an extremely rare endocrine disorder and is also referred to as pituitary gigantism. It's triggered by an adenoma, which is a non-cancerous benign tumor of the pituitary gland. When this adenoma presses into the gland, it secretes an excessive amount of growth hormone. Growth hormone is responsible for the stimulation of something called the epiphyseal plate within the bones, and this leads to long bone growth but we'll get more into that in a little bit. So if you are not at the height you want to be, you can blame your growth hormone for that. Now that we've had a little refresher of the topics discussed in the last episode, let's sit back, relax, and dive a little deeper into the bizarre world of gigantism. Before going into the symptoms, let's discuss gigantism and its less known sibling, acromegaly. It is important to know the differences between them because they are very similar disorders. They both involve excessive secretion of growth hormone caused by an adenoma of the pituitary gland. Now we are going to get back to those epiphyseal plates, or growth plates, that I mentioned earlier. Something important to know about this is that they are composed of hyaline cartilage during childhood, and then once the bones are done growing post-adolescence, it is replaced by an epiphyseal line. This line acts as a seal, and linear bone growth no longer happens at this time. When this over-secretion of growth hormone happens during childhood before these growth plates have fused together, causing linear bone growth, it's called gigantism. Now, if this happens in adulthood, after the growth plates have fused, it is known as acromegaly. Since the epiphyseal plates have closed in the case of acromegaly, It is characterized by widening or thickening of the bone instead of linear growth like you would see in children. This is important to know for today's topic. Now that we got down the major differences between gigantism and acromegaly, we can move on to some of the symptoms of gigantism. The first symptom that we are going to discuss has to do with the bones of the body, but more specifically, long bones. When looking at a person who has gigantism, the first thing people notice is their extremely tall stature caused by excessive linear growth in the epiphyseal plates. Before getting into the details of how bones grow, we need to know the basic structure of long bones. Long bones are developed by a process called endochondral ossification, which is the formation of bone by replacing the hyaline cartilage template. At the end of ossification, the only places hyaline cartilage remains is in the epiphyseal plates and articular cartilage, which is where the ends of the bone meet to form a joint. All long bones are made of compact and spongy bone and contain three sections. The top and bottom ends of bones are called epiphyses, and the long shaft or middle of the bone is called a diaphysis. The epiphyseal plate during childhood or epiphyseal line in adulthood forms between the diaphysis and epiphysis. 
The three most important cells in bones are osteocytes, which maintain the bone matrix, osteoclasts, which break down bone, and osteoblasts, which make bone. When bones grow in length, it is known as interstitial growth, and it happens in the five zones of the epiphyseal plate. The zone closest to the epiphyse is called the resting zone. Can you guess what this zone does? That's right, the cells are hanging out doing nothing. Below the resting zone is the proliferation zone or growth zone and the cartilage cells are dividing, causing the length of the bone. Below that is the hypertrophic zone, which is where the older chondrocytes or cartilage cells enlarge and erode from interconnecting spaces. Next is the calcification zone, and as the name says, the cartilage matrix calcifies, and chondrocytes die and deteriorate. The last zone is called the ossification zone, and it is the closest to the diaphysis. This is where the new bone forms. Growth hormone and insulin-like growth factor 1, which is produced by the liver, play a major role in childhood growth by stimulating cell division in the proliferation zone. If there is too much growth hormone, then the cells divide more than what it would normally do and thus producing the tall stature found in gigantism. Another couple of symptoms we're going to discuss today pertain to the integumentary system. And if you are thinking, what the heck is the integumentary system? Just know it's a fancy way of saying your skin. The many effects of the skin in individuals that have excess growth hormone secretion typically stem from the overgrowth of tissue. Some common symptoms of this that we're going to dive into next look like coarseness or swelling in areas of soft tissue, like the face, oily skin, and excessive sweating. The coarseness or swelling of the skin comes as a result of overgrowth of tissue, and this starts with the stem cells in the stratum basale of the epidermis. The stratum basale, known as the germativum, is the deepest layer of the epidermis and contains actively mitotic stem cells that form new daughter cells, which become part of the more superficial layers. When growth hormone is telling the stem cells that live in the stratum basale to keep making new cells, when there's already an abundance of cells, there's basically all of these cells stacking and stacking, and this is what causes an excess of tissue. Now, moving on to glands. Oily skin arrives from overactive sebaceous glands, or more commonly known as oil glands. These glands are found all over the body, excluding places of thick skin, such as the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet. Can you guess what a sebaceous gland secretes? That's right, sebum. Sebum is an oily substance that accumulates deep within the glands until they eventually become so engorged and burst onto the outer layer of the skin or into hair follicles. And this is done to lubricate the skin on a normal basis. And they do this with the help of little tiny muscles within the epidermis layer of the skin called erector pili muscles. So, as you connect the dots here, you can see that an overstimulation of sebaceous glands can lead to the surface of the skin to have more oil secreted, giving it the shiny appearance commonly found in 
someone with gigantism. Similar to oil glands, sweat glands in the dermis called apocrine glands play a normal function of skin regulation and protection by releasing their substance with the goal of maintaining homeostasis. In this case, sweat glands try to prevent the body from overheating. In individuals with gigantism, these sweat glands are producing a more than normal amount of sweat from the base of the gland lying in the dermis, and this excess sweat surfaces the skin even in times the body doesn't need it. Some other symptoms of gigantism include large hands and feet, thick toes and fingers, prominent jaw and forehead, severe headaches, delayed puberty, and large organs. We'll get into those another time. Well, that concludes today's episode of Bizarre Biology. I hope you will try to keep an eye out for the next episode, where we will be discussing treatments, diagnosis, and people who have dealt with gigantism. Thank you to all the listeners out there. Remember, stay curious and stay bizarre.